So, you're interested in Jesus. I mean, otherwise you probably wouldn't have clicked this, right? And maybe you're interested in who he is and what he was all about, and maybe learning all that will have some kind of positive impact on your life. You've come to the right spot, I hope. I mean, honestly, how would we know? How do we know whose version of Jesus is the right one? And can we really know who Jesus is? Yes, we can know the real Jesus. And the real Jesus can make a real impact in our lives for good and for the good of others. But we have to be willing to see him for who he really is. So let's talk about it together. Almost everyone agrees that if more people were like Jesus, the world would be a better place. But what do we mean by be like Jesus? Do we mean a uh, really nice person or a loving teacher or a truth giver or a religious leader or some type of social justice radical revolutionary? See, what we're usually saying when we say we want people to be like Jesus is we want people to be like the Jesus who thinks and acts like I do who agrees with what I agree with and disagrees with what I disagree with. And if more people were like that Jesus and agreed with me, then the world would be a better place. We all put our preconceived ideas onto Jesus. And the phrase, I follow Jesus, has a lot of different connotations for a lot of different people. So who is the real Jesus? And who even gets to decide who the real Jesus is? And then, once we get all that figured out, how do we know we're even following the real Jesus the right way? Like, this whole idea of the real Jesus and how to follow him has caused so many misunderstandings and divisions and even wars and even arguments over football game commercials. But if we take Jesus at his own words, we can discover who he really is. And we can discover what it means to actually follow him. How we view Jesus shapes how we follow Jesus. And an ancient writer named Mark compiled was believed to be the Apostle Peter's eyewitness accounts of his life with Jesus. And in the first part of his story, Mark tries to get his readers to ask for themselves, who is Jesus? And at a critical turning point in the story, Mark shows us where our questions inevitably lead. But he starts off with a really unique and interesting story. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. So, in this short little story, we do have a couple of weird things maybe we should talk about. First, Jesus spits in this guy's eyes. And as we've talked about earlier in this story of Jesus, it was believed back then that the spit of a healer had the, the healing abilities. And so Jesus is just kind of going with the cultural norms of the day, kind of like we expect our healers to have white coats and stethoscopes around their neck. And what's the deal with um, the healing not working right away? Like, was Jesus just having an off day or maybe he got distracted and he like had to try again? Well, there's actually a lot more going on in the story than it, it first seems. And Mark puts this story here to make a very important point. First, this healing is another clue Mark is giving his readers about the identity of Jesus. See, he's assuming his readers have in mind the Jewish scriptures that talk about the healing of the blind. 
Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. In that day, the deaf will hear words read from a book, and the blind will see through the gloom and darkness. So without just like bluntly saying it, Mark is showing that God himself has come to heal and restore and love his people. But as we're about to see, just as the man didn't have his perfect, perfectly clear sight right away, people don't usually clearly see who Jesus is right away either. Like every relationship, knowing the real Jesus takes time. So Mark uses this story of healing the blind man as an introduction to what happens next in the story. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So Jesus and his followers take a little trip up north to the region of Caesarea Philippi, the villages outside, kind of the countryside, to an area that has a much less Jewish population than the area he had been in. And the city was kind of like a Roman resort town that had a new temple built in it, a, uh, to a new Roman god, the, the son of the god, Caesar himself. And so maybe while overlooking this city and overlooking the symbol of Roman power and, and civil religion, Jesus asks Hey, after all that's happened, after all I've done, after all I've taught, what are people saying about me? Like, what kind of category, what kind of label have they put on me? And it seems that people liked Jesus a lot. Like, it, because it was clear Jesus was no ordinary teacher. He was no ordinary rabbi. And he wasn't just a healer. And he wasn't just a prophet. He was one of the prophets, like in line with the main spokesman for God, the major prophets whom God had sent to redirect Israel back to himself. And yeah, in a sense, that idea, those people were kind of right. Jesus was the spokesman of God, being God, that all the other spokesmen had pointed to in the past of Israel's history. But see, that even wasn't the full picture. And liking Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. And the disciples, they've been on the inside of Jesus' ministry. They had the parables explained to them. They'd seen miracles and things that others hadn't seen. And so Jesus puts the question to them. Okay, so they think I'm one of the main prophets, which is, is nice, but you know me a little bit better. Who do you guys say I am? And Peter, being the spokesman for the group, says, You are the Messiah, the chosen one of God, who will bring the kingdom of God to earth who will defeat evil and set things right back the way back to the way they were meant to be and it's like wow like peter seems to get it seems to understand in the other accounts in of jesus life when this scene comes up jesus even says like good job peter like you didn't come up with that on your own like god himself told you that but what did peter and the boys mean when they said jesus was the messiah like is it is the word messiah have the same meaning to them that it does to jesus and as we're about to see, they actually have something else in mind than Jesus does. See, in the typical Jewish mind at that time, the Messiah was the true king of the Jews, like an actual political king who was going to be a political and military leader and a renewer and a purifier of their religion. So he would conquer Israel's enemies 
the Romans with force, with power, with an army. And then he would remove the religious leaders who were in control at the time, who had lost sight of God's heart. And he would restore the glory and the purity of Israel, which, as we'll see, is very different than what Jesus had in mind. So he says, great, yes, I am the Messiah, but it's not what you think. So don't tell anybody yet, because that word has a lot of connotation that we're not ready for. We're not ready for that heat. It'll have pretty big repercussions. See, you think it means revolution, and so will others. So I need you just to kind of chill on this a little bit. And he says, listen, boys, you're right about me being the Messiah, but you want to know what that really means? Here's what that really means. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. So Jesus says, look guys, I get it. You want me to win. You want me to conquer our enemies. You want me to kick out these religious leaders who have been oppressing you. You want me to restore the physical nation of Israel and set up this this new dynasty. But I'm not going to win in that way. In fact, I'm going to lose. I'm going to be rejected by the leaders. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. But in losing, I will actually win. And he's saying, just as the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. In fact, pause this right now. Google Isaiah 53 and read that because that is what Jesus is talking about right now. I, I can wait. So he says, I will suffer. I will die. But then I will live and bring true life and freedom to everyone else. He says, this is what it means for me to be the Messiah. Victory through defeat. Winning by giving up and serving. True life through death. You want a conquering king by force. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen through losing and dying and serving and loving and living again. God's power won't be used to overthrow kingdoms, but to overthrow evil and establish his kingdom in the hearts of his people. Jesus refuses to fit the mold that we try to force him into. And just as the blind man couldn't see perfectly clearly at first, the disciples don't really get what's going on. In fact, for the disciples, they're like, "This, no, this is not what we were told the Messiah is supposed to be like. Like all our parents said the Messiah is going to conquer. This is like Messiahs don't die. In fact, if the Messiah dies, that proves it was he was a fake Messiah. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jeez, that's a little rough, right? Calling Peter Satan? But this idea of the Messiah suffering and dying and living again was the plan, was God's plan from the beginning to restore humanity to himself. So anything that would attempt to take Jesus off of this like universal cosmic plan is not from God, but it's from the accuser. The Satan, the one who had helped bring in this chaos and separation in the first place. And the the disciples wanted Jesus to fit their idea of a Messiah, the, the conquering war hero, a figure that would actually be in opposition to Jesus's true mission to sacrifice himself for the good of all humanity. If If he did what the disciples wanted him to do, then all of humanity would still be enslaved to sin. See, their view was too small. It was limited to only what they could see, what what they had thought that it was supposed to be, what they had been told was important. They couldn't see things from God's true perspective. When we try to use Jesus to fight for our agenda, we usually end up fighting against God's agenda. See, we have to be willing to let Jesus be who he is, especially when it challenges who we think he is or who we want him 
to be. And so Jesus says, I will win by losing. And you know what? If you really want to follow me, you're going to have to do the same thing. If you really want me to be your king, you're going to have to figure out how to win by losing. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. And the imagery Jesus uses is shockingly offensive. See, this isn't some artistic hyperbole. People in those days didn't have this romanticized religious uh, idea of crosses. No, they had seen people literally pick up their cross and carry it and then be tortured and executed by the Romans. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give up my life to bring in the kingdom of God. And if you want to, if you are going to be a part of it, you're going to have to give up your life as well. And did you notice that Jesus doesn't just see himself as bringing in the kingdom of God to earth? He actually sees himself as the king. He says, you, if you are willing to give up your life for my sake, that is insanely arrogant to expect people to die for you unless he really is the king, unless he really is God. And he knows that giving up our lives will somehow give us and bring us what we truly need. All Jesus asks for is all of us. And he says, what the world sees as, as shameful and losing of like choosing to lose by giving up your own rights, giving up our own agendas, living in the way of love and peace and acceptance and living out the good news of God is what will bring true victory, will make you my true follower and let you experience true, real life. I'm bringing something better than winning. I'm bringing true life that you can never lose now and forever. And that loss, whether it's actually our physical lives or our possessions or our reputations or, or whatever we've defined as winning, will seem like nothing compared to what we will gain by giving them up. It's like trading old, smelly, torn clothes for brand new, fine, indestructible clothes. It's trading the burden and the weight of fighting for ourselves, of worrying about our rights. It's trading the, the need of making sure things are even and that the wrongs done to us are repaid. It's trading a life of anger and bitterness and worry for a life of trust, hope, and peace. Knowing we don't have to fight for ourselves because our king sees us and knows us and loves us and someday true justice will be done. We don't have to prove our worth because he's already proven it by dying for us. We're free to love because we know we are loved. We can accept others because we've been accepted. We can serve because we've been served by God himself. Winning in the kingdom of God is defined by how much we lose for others. And eventually, most of the disciples will lose their lives. Some of them will literally carry their cross to their death for their king and his good news, that there is a God who loves us, who loves everyone and wants to show us how much he loves us. So much so that he died and rose again to prove his love and give true life to everyone now and forever. And these disciples, they will do that. They will carry their own cross for him and for those that need to hear the good news because they saw their king do it for them.
But Jesus says at the end there, like, hey, you know, but also, like, don't worry about that yet. Because before you die horribly, you know, some of you will actually get to see the kingdom of God come in power. When, after his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes and fills his people and lives begin to change and the unstoppable kingdom of God invades the world. Now, of course, hearing this the first time, the disciples, they, they don't understand what Jesus is talking about. Like, it, honestly, it took Jesus rising from the dead and the Holy Spirit actually filling them to fully grasp who Jesus is and what his kingdom is all about. And that's how it is for us. We like the idea of Jesus. We like the idea of love, especially we like the idea that he loves us. And yet we believe he's for what we're for and that he's against what we're against. And anyone who doesn't fit our criteria, well, then obviously... Well, they're against Jesus because Jesus agrees with me. And so we dehumanize people. We justify, we justify all kinds of hatred in the name of a Messiah we've created in our own image. We become more and more burdened by worry, that a worry that those out there are, are fighting against us, fighting against Jesus. And so we start fighting for and clinging to power. We start arguing and making sure everyone believes the way we do. We forget about loving and serving and focus only on winning. We want to follow the Jesus that already agrees with us. Why? Because then we don't have to change anything about ourselves. What we actually end up doing is following just this weird fuzzy image of the true Jesus that's been tainted by what we want Jesus to be. But Jesus doesn't fit nicely in our, in our little boxes. He didn't come to earth and die and rise again just so we could win our little power struggles and, and conquer those people that we think are our enemies. No. He came to rule in peace and love, and he invites us to join him in his kingdom and join his mission of restoring humanity back to their place with him. But if we want to enjoy the kingdom, we have to follow the way of the king. So how can we start doing that? What are some steps we can take to follow the way of the king? Well, remember that we said at the beginning, how we view Jesus shapes how we follow Jesus. So first, let's commit to memory. Let's memorize what the kingdom of God is like, what our king is like, and why we live like our king in this kingdom. 1 John 4, 19. We love each other because he loved us first. And then pray, help me discover the real you and not some made up image of you. Allow the real Jesus to change your view of him. Not what we want him to be, but who is he actually? And then allow the real Jesus to guide your real life. If we say, like, think about it. If we say Jesus was a good teacher, well, then maybe we'll, we could take some advice from him on, on how to have a better life. Sure. If we say maybe he was a prophet who showed us a little bit more of what, what God is like, well, then we can use his example and, and his teachings for some good motivations to, to be nice people. If we say he came to, like, make a Christian nation on earth, then we'll always be looking for enemies to that idea will be fighting for power to keep that nation and will be afraid of losing. But if we say Jesus is God, if we say Jesus is the king, if we say I follow Jesus, that has some huge implications. It means we aren't in it to win it. It means we don't fight for our own way and our own agendas. It means we don't fight to save our physical lives or what we've built our lives around. It means we give up all for our king and for living out his good news. And that changes everything. It changes how we use our resources and our time and our money. It changes how we parent and how we interact in our marriages and, and how we work and how we date and how we interact with our friends, what we do at school, how we treat our neighbors. It even influences whether or not we put the cart back at the grocery store. 
It changes what we dwell on. It changes what we become passionate about. It changes how much, wor- how much power worry has over us. Following Jesus is a journey of discovering who Jesus is and aligning ourselves more and more to that image. Jesus invites all of us to win by choosing to lose, to let go of the burdens of what we've been told is important and discover true life, a life full of what really matters, love and joy and peace and relationship, a life full of purpose and meaning, a life that matters for eternity. But to find it, we have to discover the real Jesus and align our real lives to his. We discover real life when we discover and follow the real Jesus. Hey, thanks for watching and listening and and checking us out, especially if it's your first time. If you liked what you saw, please click like and even subscribe so you don't miss another episode. We are a church in Salem, Oregon, and you can check us out at yourcrosscreek.com. And always, we love questions and comments and getting to know people. So please email us at info at yourcrosscreek.com. Until then, stay classy, Salem.